At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, June 19th, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited to be back from vacation and talking to you. Even though the market was closed today, I figured it's a good time to really catch up on the last couple of weeks and dig into uh, your questions, most importantly. You know, this uh, the show is about you. You set the table. And here in Best Talk, we do not pre-screen our live calls in order to shape the show. Instead, we take what you throw at us, whether it's live uh, calls in real time or previous uh, previously recorded ones. We still, we don't, like I said, we don't pre-screen them. I don't hear them before uh, those voicemails are played on air for you. So we're committed to answering to the best of, based on our viewpoints, based on the data that we have, based on the experience that have, that have shaped our investment uh, philosophy and our strategy over 30 years. So we're not here to uh, have an agenda. We're here to just distill the pros and cons, right? Both sides of the investment uh, decision. And there's always that. There's always the risk and reward, and you have to weigh those. You have to ignore emotions, as much as you can, we're all humans after all, but still, it's about focusing on the task at hand. Not chasing headlines, not allowing fear and greed to make your decisions for you. It's about looking at the data, looking at precedent and history, and understanding what are the, what are the odds saying? Are you putting your portfolio, your investments in a good situation to succeed based on the odds right we talk about fundamentals and and you know when you buy things that are drastically overvalued even though they might be in a short-term uptrend or you know the hot stock of the day or hot sector of the day i think ai right now uh, the odds over the medium to long term are not in your favor right so that's why we tend to be value investors and and focus on Real earnings, because over the long term, that's what drives stock prices is companies making money, doing good things for shareholders. And so we're going to teach you best practices. And the more you can focus on those and get and eliminate the counterproductive habits, the quicker you can achieve financial freedom. So I'm ready to tackle your questions. I know you've got a call. That's on your mind. So the phone lines are open at 888 chart. Now, my focus point looks into the story. U.S. banks face over $1 trillion in commercial real estate exposure. And before 2025 comes to a close, more than $1.45 trillion in commercial real estate mortgages will have to be renegotiated. So why is that? And what type of impact will that have on the broader economy and the banking sector? A little or a lot? 
And this is a good one. I like this one because it's about a headline. That's a headline. But what does that really mean? It sounds big. A trillion dollars sounds big. Is it? Might be. Might not be. We're going to dig into that. Okay. Now, time permitting, I want to touch on where we are in the interest rate cycle and not just the recent move or even the long-term move, more about where interest rates are and how that affects the economy. Because a lot of people are saying, okay, rates are up so dramatically, that slowed housing and they have PTSD from 08 and they think that's the, all the economy is and right, it, frankly it isn't. Um, but why hasn't it really crashed the economy? Right, Everyone predicted that. It's going to crash the economy. Why hasn't it? We're going to dig into that. Also, money market. Money market assets are very high. Yields are higher. What impact does that have on the broader markets? And then we're looking at profits. How have profits been squeezed in uh, the recent downtrend in earnings? We haven't seen a drastic downturn in earnings, but certainly a pullback. And what does that look like underneath the hood? So those are things that are on my mind. We also have some voice bank questions ready to play. One in regards to 401k withdrawal and Tesla. And we might be able to fit in an iTunes review question or two in as well. So my perspective looks at electricity prices over the past 100 years when adjusted for inflation. Has the cost been stable, going up, going down? We're going to look at that. But of course, we also have your live calls ready at 888 chart Now let's go to our first voicemail. Right now at 888 chart Hey guys, this is Kurt in Maryland. I was wondering, I was just looking at General Electric's chart. They're up almost 100% in the last year, and their projected earnings next year are about to double from this year. And their debt seems to be going down. Is this worth a buy now? I'll wait here on the website. Thanks. All right, looking at GE, and you know, I think you're a, a bit late to the game here. Like you said, it's up 100% over the last year, uh, and GE has gone through a lot of troubles. They've uh, they've they managed their earnings for far too long, and that ultimately manifested in a restructuring and and just uh, a, a major slim down of their business. Right, GE Capital and uh, selling off kind of non core parts to uh, reduce their their debt load. Uh, and they've certainly done that in a big, big way. And I think that's uh, that's a positive. Now, their cash from operation, operations is now at about $6.2 billion. Now, that's down from the peak in 2000 and, uh, let's see, 2008, it was at $4.8 billion. And before they did the restructuring, it was closer to $30 billion. Now, it's at $6.2 billion. So this is really a shell of its former self. and But in a lot of ways, a more efficient, more effective business. So I, I think there's a lot of positives to what you've seen as of late, uh, you know, a lot of, of charge-offs and, and kind of a new reimagined GE that <clears throat> is on much sounder footing. That being said, you're still only supposed to make $4 per share next year. That's at $106 per share right now. That's about 25, 27 times multiple on a quality industrial name, but you know, I think it's a bit ahead of itself right now. So I like what this says about GE over the longer term, this, this strong of a, of a price thrust. But I think after 
this rally, it's a slightly, it's a bit overvalued. So our fair value is closer to a hundred, about a hundred dollars per share. And that's at one Oh six. So it's, it's modestly overvalued. Um, but it's, it's a good name. I like what you're looking at, but I would want to see a pullback here. Um, but, uh, this is one of those names that you certainly, uh, a lot of people have forgot about it for a long time and, but they still have some good assets underneath the surface. So, um, Definitely on the radar, but definitely too overbought for me to jump on the train right now. Now we're going to a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank, or if you're listening via the live stream or on AM twelve twenty in the Bay Area, you can call right now at eight 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 ninety nine chart. KPP Financial invites you to join us for a new Invest Talk Wealth Webinar rates and real estate you'll gain valuable investing insights for the commercial and residential real estate markets of 2023 we will also explore the world of reits and delve into a comprehensive analysis of the deferred sales trust a real estate tax deferral strategy the invest talk wealth webinar will take place on wednesday june 28th from 1 to 2 p.m pacific time and it will be led by InvestTalk host, Justin Klein, along with KPP Financial Portfolio Manager, Luke Guerrero. This complimentary webinar is your opportunity to learn from top finance experts in the industry. So go to investtalk.com, register for this free wealth webinar, rates and real estate. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy and discipline. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point looks into this story. U.S. banks face over $1 trillion in commercial real estate exposure. Now, before 2025 is out, banks are expected to sell off about $1.47 trillion in commercial real estate assets. Okay. And a very large corporation, uh, bank, HSBC, they're in the midst of selling, selling hundreds of millions of dollars in commercial real estate loans at about a 5% loss, which... Doesn't sound like a lot, but it's, you know, banks don't like to lose money. But they're winding down their direct to lending American property developers. So this is part of just kind of winding up that division of their business. Now, once again, it sounds like a lot, but total assets of all commercial banks in the U.S. as of May of this year, as of May of this year, was 23 billion, 23 billion. So if you're talking about, sorry, 23 trillion, sorry, 23 trillion. So if you're talking about one to one and a half, you're talking about, what's that? Maybe 5% of total bank assets. That's not a lot in the grand scheme of things. And on top of that, most other debtors are up to date on their payments, but going into the end of this quarter, you know, banks want to clean up their books and they want to 
take the losses when needed. Sell off the assets maybe before they get worse. And clearly a lot of unprepared, inexperienced investors that are in this space are are, going to get hurt. But ultimately, you know, banks have pretty decent cash buffers. And remember, this is, they might be selling off a trillion. It doesn't mean they're taking a trillion dollar loss. Think of HSBC, right? They're selling off hundreds of millions, taking a 5% loss. That's going to eat a bit into their capital buffers, but nothing too dramatic. It's not like Silicon Valley Bank when they had to sell a huge portion of their assets and treasuries that were at 20, 30% loss. That's where you get into major trouble of banks going under. Okay. So I love this focus point because it's a big headline and it sounds like a large number. One and a half trillion dollars sounds huge, but that's the notional value. That's the amount they've lent out. And the vast majority of them are going to be mild to moderate uh, losses. One big reason is in the commercial real estate market, it's not like your traditional mortgage on a residential property where you have a a 20% loan to value, right? Sorry, 80% loan to value. Are you putting 20% down? Most commercial property loans, about a 50% loan to value. So there's that buffer there, a lot bigger buffer than in the residential market. Why? Because these assets are big. You can get kind of concentrated if they get too big, right, of the exposure. It's not like housing where you can diversify and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of, of residents. And if a couple hundred defaults, it's not a big deal. Oftentimes, especially smaller banks, they have a, a small set of commercial real estate properties they're, they're lending against. You know, maybe a couple hundred. And so that's why they tend to have more conservative lending practice, especially after 08, they, they got in a bit of trouble there. Not as bad as the residential side, but it's an issue, but it's not an unsolvable issue. And I think that's really what you have to understand about the banking industry right now. They have a lot of problems, little problems that depending on the bank could be huge, you know, if there are some, you know, blowups, but you've seen, we've seen what half a dozen blowups. What is that in the economy so far this year? Does not really change the overall lending environment for corporations, for individuals? It's been relatively steady. And I'll get into that a little later. Why a lot of it has to do with real interest rates. Um, But I wanted to highlight this because it's really important to get some perspective on uh, these big numbers. You see headlines with big, big numbers, but the devil's always in the details here. Okay. Now we're heading into a break. I welcome your finance investment questions now. No question is too simple or too complex. You set the agenda. So give InvestTalk a call at 888-99-CHART. Each 
day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. This is Randy, the truck driver again. Again, thank you very much for your show. I learn a lot, and I think that maybe one of these days I'll have a good handle on this. Question for you now is Tesla. I foolishly bought it more than a year ago, um, actually more than two years ago now. And, uh, but recently it's gone up where I would be making about a 30% profit off of it. And I'm wondering, should I hang on to it for longer? Should I get rid of it? I don't like Elon Musk. I don't trust that I won't wake up tomorrow morning and find out that I've lost $1,000 instead of gained 300 I would like a dispassionate and uh, disinterested third-party view, which is why I like to listen to you guys. You help me keep the emotion out of it. Thank you. All right. Well, Tesla has had a recent counter-trend rally. Just like a lot of the growth side of the market, the tech side of the market, after a rough 2022 uh, and we're starting to see some signs i'm starting to see some signs of the past couple weeks that 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 trend is starting to peak out sentiment wise as well as technically the charts you're starting to see uh some of the major stocks reverse amd is a good example over the past few days it started to reverse uh and but tesla itself is also kind of hitting uh short-term uh, resistance it's work broke down uh, back in what month was this in September of last year and you a lot of times you'll get a retest retest of that uh, that breakdown bubble and you're getting that right now so this is a great area I think to if you don't like it if you don't like Elon you don't you think you know you wouldn't be surprised if you're down a bunch tomorrow and you wake up for whatever reason um you know you've you've kind of got lucky here you got a nice uh strong rally uh within the uh, the growth side of the market and uh, Tesla is, is kind of the epitome of that, right? So um, this is a great time to be um, selling it. Uh, you've got your little gain. Move on and find something that has much better long-term fundamentals because uh, Tesla certainly isn't that one, uh, especially in uh, this environment and uh, their, their history of uh, capital allocation, which is not fantastic. All right. Now, I want to touch a bit on interest rates. I think this is... It's kind of a new, we've talked about this as a new era, something a lot of people haven't been used to, right? Since the financial crisis, interest rates have been a rock bottom, and suddenly that's no longer the case. Now, last week, Wednesday, the Fed paused. And a lot of people say that they've had done plenty of tightening. And in a lot of ways, I would agree with that. Uh, but if you look at, well, what's most important is not just looking at that nominal rate that's out there, but what is called the real rate, so adjusted for inflation. Now, the Fed's mission is to get, in, get inflation down, and it was, what, 7 8%, and now it's down in 4-ish range, 4 to 5-inch range, and they want to get down to 2. And I've said in the back half of the year, you're likely to see, because of base effects and obviously slowing economy, that's going to stair-step lower probably into the 3s, maybe even the 2s by the end of the year. But what's interesting here is that so many people have been calling for the death knell of the economy. And I've, I've said for a while, the economy is slowing, but at a very modest pace. And 
you know, if there's a recession, it'll probably be in the back half of the year and it'll probably be pretty mild. Now, interest rates overall, nominal, are up a full 5% since early last year. That's the steepest increase since the 80s. But that's only one part of monetary policy and liquidity. Overall, monetary policy simply isn't that tight. Why? Because monetary policy uh, and its tightness or lack thereof has a lot to do with the real interest rate. And right now, inflation actually ticked back up to 3.9%. I'm sorry, excuse me. It did not tick up. The expectations of the Fed is for it to tick up from 3.6 and their forecast in March now to 3.9. And Based on the uh, current 5.3% increase in consumer prices over the past 12 months, and the Fed kind of at that five and a quarter rate, the real interest rate is about zero. Now, you can use other measures of inflation, and you can say it's maybe one, one and a half, but that's still not that restrictive, right? Positive real rates is somewhat restrictive, but, you know, it's not just being above zero, it's being considerably above zero. Now, the Fed considers a rate of 0.5% as neutral, positive 0.5% as neutral. So for 1.4, 1.5, it's not really that restrictive. Real rates were higher before every previous recession going back to 1960. So real rates overall have risen, risen a lot less than in 94, 2004, but slightly more than 99 in 2016. So it's the tight, in, and what that typically does, positive real rates, significantly positive real rates, that is what constrains the overall economy and constrains financial conditions. And so that's why you've seen a lot of assets rallies because the 10-year has pulled back, right? And inflation has pulled back, but it's still, you know, high-ish. So this is what's very important, is for you to not just look at the nominal rate, but real rates, how are those moving, and whether they're going up or down, and that is what changes financial conditions and ultimately the economy. Now we're heading into a break. I'm ready for your calls at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive 
at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. KPP Financial invites you to join us for a new Invest Talk Wealth Webinar, Rates and Real Estate, June 28th from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Time. So go to investtalk.com, register for this free wealth webinar, Rates and Real Estate. Now, in the next Invest Talk, the story behind this question. Has the Fed destroyed the U.S. banking system by making it essentially insolvent? At least one high-profile economist says that bailing out depositors of failed banks was a mistake that will cause greater instability in the banking system and larger future losses. Could he be right? That story tomorrow that Steve will get to, but my perspective is coming up soon. But first, let's squeeze in another caller question from 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve or Justin. My question is about 401ks. In my 401k, as far as I know, I can withdraw penalty-free at 59 and a half. So my question is, if I would happen to pass away before 59 and a half, when does my beneficiary or my family get to access that money penalty-free? Is it when I would have been 59 and a half, or is it when they are 59 and a half, or do they not get to access it penalty-free, or what? So uh, that's my question, and thank you. I'll listen to it on the podcast. Well, that's a great question, and no, they they would uh, essentially it would roll into what is called an inherited IRA, and there are different rules depending on your age when you pass away and uh, your whoever. Uh, inherited it, whether it's a spouse or a child, there are some complex rules around that that I, I don't really have time to, to kind of get into. Um, but it it will pa- it will go into what is called an inherited IRA um, uh, or an inherited four hundred one k. So there are rules around that. It's more of uh, something you'd want to talk to an accountant about and which uh, which which tax treatment you. Uh, would would have on it um but it would be different right for uh the, the whoever inherits it okay so it's not based on you it's based on uh that that inheritor so we said okay all right thanks for the call now my perspective looks into electricity prices over the past hundred years when adjusted for inflation has the cost been stable Let's first set the table. Well, energy costs are regressive, taking a bigger share of income from those in lower income because it's a higher percentage of their overall spend. And so to cut costs, consumers must improve efficiency. For renters, for example, they can make uh, investments to boost energy efficiency in appliances maybe, but they don't own the property, so they can't really do a whole lot like... uh, put solar panels and you know upgrade lights and things like that. But more than 20 million families, about one in six in the U.S., were behind on the utility bills as of November 7th of 2022. That's crazy, one in six. That's according to the federal government's low-income home energy assistance program. Now, family, families owed about $16 billion as of last August, double the amount at the December of 2019. So obviously the pandemic has impacted that. And the average 
amount owed increased to about $788 from $629. And on average, consumers paid 14.3% more for electricity last year than in 2021. So you're seeing that inflation hitting, that cost of energy uh, really take stair step higher. That's more than double the overall 6.5% rise in prices uh, on average. So according to the consumer price index data released in January, month-to-month electricity prices rose 1% while the overall CPI decreased 0.1% month over month. Okay. So energy prices continue to kind of outpace overall inflation. And the projection going forward is that will only continue. Electricity to heat homes was expected to have cost 10.2% more this past winter compared to the winter of 2021. And the average number for winter 2021 was about $1,359 for the whole season, which like the cost to heat your home. Now, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, $100 from 1913 has the same purchasing power as $581 this year. Now, between 1913 and 2023, 110 years, electricity experienced an average inflation of 1.6% per year. Not bad. 1.6% per year. So $100 in 1913 will cost $581.89 in 2023 for an equivalent purchase. Now, compared to the overall inflation of 3.16, during the same period, inflation for electricity was lower. So electricity has continued to get cheaper and cheaper. And the average price nationally is 17 cents per elect, uh, per kilowatt hour. Okay. Now in 2020, the cost was 14 cents per kilowatt hour and 20 in 2000, it was nine cents per kilowatt hour. That equates to 18 cents in 2023. And last year or 2020s was 14 cents. That equates to 17 cents in 2023 dollars. So it's actually gone down a little bit. Inflation adjusted over the past 20 years. So overall, residential consumer electricity prices have been fairly stable. And hopefully that'll continue, but uh, obviously it depends on what our input costs are. Right, whether that's clean energy, whether that's nuclear, whether that's continues to be a lot of natural gas uh, that should evolve. But I think the diversity of our Electrical electric system uh, certainly helps that stability over those last 110 years. Now let's keep things moving and fit in another call question from 88899 chart. Hi, Stephen Justin. This is Jane from New York. I just have a question about shorting a stock versus buying puts on a stock. I know they're both bearish sentiments, but what is the fundamental difference between these two and why would someone do one versus the other? Which one is more profitable? Which one is more risky? Um, just wanted to understand this more. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Oh, that's a great question. There's uh, certainly uh, different ways to bet on the downside of a particular company. And shorting is very simple, straightforward, right? You're selling the stock today and you're hoping to buy later at a lower price. Now, there's cost to that and that can be uh, margin, margin uh, interest. So you have to check with your broker on what the cost is, and that can vary depending on the position. Sometimes you actually get a credit for showing the stock. That can happen as well, but you have to check with your broker once again. And there's an infinite 
potential losses, right? Could continue to go up and up and up. That's a risk there. Okay. But overall, the carrying cost tends to be relatively low. And like I said, sometimes it can, you can be paid to short a stock. Now on the put side, you have to, you have limited losses, right? The amount you put up for the put that you're buying, but you're buying time value. Like typically you're not buying one that's in the money. Maybe you are, you could do that, but you're also spending a lot on time value where the longer out the option expiration is, the more you're going to pay for that. But it gives you a lot more time for your thesis to play out. And it's leveraged. It's leveraged. Meaning the stock goes up or kind of goes sideways. The time value is going to decay and you're going to continue to lose money. And maybe that put eventually expires worthless and you lost the entire amount. But if you're right, you know, you can make double, triple, quadruple, sometimes more than your original investment. But it has to play out once again in the time horizon of the option. Okay. Might not play out, right? You could say I'm going to buy a six month, month option and you could be right that the stock could go down, but in the next six months, it might just chop sideways, maybe go up a little bit and you're out your entire amount. Whereas if you're short the stock, you have no expiration of when you, you know, have to cover it. So it depends on what you're trying to do. If it's a short-term trade, it's a long-term bet on the downside of a position, what the underlying trends of the markets are that can certainly play into it. So I hope I covered a good amount. Uh, maybe I didn't cover all of it. You know, this is a kind of detailed subject, especially when you get into puts options tend to be a bit complex. Uh, but hopefully gave you a summary of uh, kind of the pros and cons of each. All right. Now let's touch a bit on profits. Okay, we're well through the earnings season. In fact, we're starting to approach the next earnings season because we're coming up on the end of the second quarter. But you notice how profit margins uh, are getting squeezed. But mm, if you look at the headline earnings, it doesn't look like it. Now, Refinitiv estimates that earnings per share among S&P 500 companies were going to be, are going to be a flat versus a year ago. Compared to April 1st, analysts had expected a 5.1% decline for the earnings season. And once all the S&P 500 companies have reported, it's going to be roughly flat. Now, a lot of this has to do with analysts tend to lowball their earnings going into uh, the announcement. Uh, companies have bought back a lot of stock. That certainly helped overall earnings per share. And uh, but but sales are are actually up three point six percent overall from a year ago. So what that means is that same profits, higher sales means profit margins are down. They're down to about eleven point eight percent in the first quarter compared to thirteen point two percent a year ago. Now for comparison, pre pandemic, first quarter twenty nineteen. Margins were at 11.6. So we're kind of return trip to pre-pandemic era. Now, companies have had a 
had a lot of success in passing along these rising costs. Talk about inflation. And part of that is that corporations have a lot of pricing power, especially the large ones. A lot of small businesses went out. They went under. They couldn't sustain themselves during the pandemic. And that left a lot of power to the big guys. Now, this, these, the flat earnings is on a pro forma basis. And so this means that they have a lot of one-time charges and they recharacterize things like amortization and you know, things we talk about that are really accounting gimmicks. But if you use gap accounting, profit margins weren't 11.8, they were actually 10.8. And if you get rid of many of the kind of one-time gains, it was actually more like 8.6. So they've been doing a lot of chicanery in order to boost those overall, uh, overall earnings. So while earnings overall have been roughly flat, margins will continue to be under pressure. And I think that's probably the biggest worry for me from the markets is that uh, the earning, you can only do that for so long, like a GE, right? For a long time, they kind of manage earnings. You can only do that for so long before you have to pay the piper. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for, the, for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. Dempsey1124 says, I own 100 shares of HPQ. I've held it for over a year. If I sell an out-of-the-money call, covered call on HPQ above my cost basis that expires in less than 30 days, will my holding period on HPQ be reset from long-term to short-term? This is a great question. And the answer is no. When you're doing a covered call, you are essentially making a completely different trade. Now, from a risk perspective and a management perspective, they're kind of one in the same, right? They're shared, but from a tax perspective, you own 100 shares of HPQ and you've sold short a call option. That's what covered call is. You sell short a call option and you're gonna get a premium for that. Those are two completely separate trades. Now, if whoever Say the, let's say the, stock, the HPQ goes up, it's in the money, and the stock gets executed, the option gets executed. That's when it's going to call away your 100 shares of HPQ and sell it. And that's when you have that realized gain on that HPQ. It's suddenly sold. Sounds like it'll be, it'll be long-term, right? You said it, uh, it's currently been over a year, so it'd be long-term. But no, selling that call option doesn't change the fact that that original purchase of HPQ is over a year ago in your long term. And remember, some, a lot of people don't get this and it's difficult for them to understand with call options uh, or covered calls, excuse me, is that you can sell a covered call. Let's say stock's at 30 and you sell a call that has a strike of 32 and suddenly goes up to 33. A lot of people say, "Well, it's 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 in the money. It's at thirty two. I, I they're gonna they're gonna buy it from me. They're they're, they're gonna uh, I'm gonna have to sell it to them for thirty two. I'm screwed. I I I'm gonna have to sell this position. No, you can roll that call to the next month. You can buy back that call. You don't have to have it called away from you. Okay." So make sure you understand that when you're selling cover calls, there's a, a management process to uh, the, the cover call strategy.
Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. Now, KP Financial invites you to make plans to join us for the new Invest Talk Wealth webinar, Rates in Real Estate. You will gain valuable investing insight for the commercial and residential real estate markets of 2023. We will explore the world of REITs and delve into a comprehensive analysis of Deferred Sales Trust, a real estate tax deferral strategy. Invest Talk Wealth webinar, Rates in Real Estate, will take place on Wednesday, June 28th from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific time. You can register now all at investtalk.com. Now, Afron from Cleveland has a question about employee stock purchase plans. Hey, Justin, welcome back. I hope you had a great time. Thank you. Um, abroad. And I am a really concerned caller because I um, am a member of my company's employee stock purchase plan. Okay. My company went from 33 to like over 90 this year uh, okay. in the stock market. Okay. So I realize that um, every four months, I get a huge sum of money into my Fidelity TOD. Okay. Now, from the standpoint that I invest 8% of my compensation in the employee stock purchase plan uh-huh. and 7% in uh, the traditional 401k. Uh-huh. So I am worried with regards to tax implications, because I can't hold all of the shares that I get from my employee because I'll be way overweight, my uh-huh. company. Uh-huh. But what I've been doing is selling those shares. Uh-huh. So I'm worried about the capital gains uh-huh. on those shares. Okay. And additionally, I've been investing in value companies, Kroger okay. and CVS okay. recently, okay. Okay. because I'm looking at companies that I'm going to be holding for the next 10 years. Can you okay. help me out with this? Well, you have what is called uh, a good problem. <laughs> yeah, there are problems in this world uh, for money, and you know there are good problems or bad problems. You've made money, so your stock's up. That's good. You're you're doing the right thing by thinking about diversifying away and trying to sell, especially when you know times are better um, and you want to be selling into strength. You know, buy when there's sellers and sell when there's buyers. Um, you know, you want to manage that from a tax perspective, make sure that's long-term when you, when you are selling. So hopefully you're, you're, you're working on that with fidelity to make sure any lots that you're selling are, uh, over a year. Um, but you know, it's, it's a good problem to have at least the stock didn't go from 90 to, to 30. You know, a lot of people get a discounts, you know, ESPP plans for their employer and they get a 15% discount, but they might buy it where it's too overpriced and it might go down 50%. And that 15% discount sounds, you know, very, uh, it's, you know, it's a kiss on the cheek, you know, when, uh, you're, you're still down well more than that. Um, so luckily it's gone the other way for you and you're still thinking, uh, the, the right way. Um, so, 
I would encourage you to continue to do that. You know, you, you certainly want to think about it from a tax perspective, you know, how much you want to sell this year versus next year. But, you know, a lot of people, I've seen it throughout the years, people who focus too much on the taxes and avoiding taxes, they regret not taking that, um, especially in times like right now, we've had this rally. Um, and overall, we're probably more in a longer term choppy period. Um, so I would take advantage of it. Talk to your accountant, make sure you're not going too much overboard, make sure you have the, the cash on hand uh, to, to do that. Um, and you know, it doesn't hit you in a, a higher tax bracket and things like that. So there's some tax planning that you definitely have to do with that. Um, but be happy, <laughs> be happy that you're, that you're, that you're making money. Um, and I would not be afraid to, to sell it, even if it, you have to take the tax hit. Does that make sense, Afron? It really does. I appreciate it. Big fan of uh, your show, and I'll continue listening. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I, I love that call. Um, glad he's making a bunch of money. I've, I've definitely seen the opposite, where people get uh, too tied into uh, their 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 employee uh, stock, and they think everything's all fine and dandy until you know a cycle, economic cycle hits, or maybe just the cycle within that sector um, suddenly turns negative, and they wish they could have sold. You know, I see so many people doing that, avoiding selling because they just don't want to pay, uh, pay the taxes. But what happens ultimately often happens is the gains just completely reverse and they go to break even or a loss. And suddenly, yeah, you don't have a tax problem, but you also, you know, your, your position's cut in half, right? Uh, and it's better to once again, sell when there's buyers and buy when there's sellers and know that, the good times don't always last. There's cycles to everything and no tree grows to the sky. Okay. Now I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which they can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. And heads up, we've now achieved over 53.3 million downloads since it all began. So we continue to climb and that's all thanks to you. Independent thinking, shared success. This is InvestTalk. Good night. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.